Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 250 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. So that was 2020. No, really, I mean it. It's over and done with. Finally. For good. No maxis. This was a year where Iran and America looked like they might go to war. Kobe Bryant died, and the Australian outback was just burning out of control. That was all before January ended. From there, it got worse. And worse. And worse. I could tell you, but you don't need me to. You were there. Or at least you would be there if you were allowed to leave your home, or still had a job, or didn't get sick, or all of the above. To make matters worse for listeners and contributors of this show, film going took a major hit when we largely had to steer clear of cinemas after mid-March. That doesn't mean that we weren't offered films in 2020. It doesn't even mean that we weren't offered great films in 2020. Quite the opposite. There was a lot of incredible cinema out there if you just knew where to look. So if nothing else, today we hope to tell you where to look. This year for the final episode, I bring in a dear friend. And interestingly enough, he is the last man that I went to a movie with in a cinema in 2020. He is someone whose fingerprints are all over the previous 249 episodes of this show, whose voice, too, is a frequent presence as a continuing guest. He's had a whirlwind year himself, including one handle of a grand finale. So I'm truly grateful that he's been able to make time this morning. He is the head cheese over at Tump the unnamed movie podcast, and my neighbor now here in New- Midtown Toronto, Andrew Robinson is here. How are you doing, man? I'm, as you say, I'm doing, right? Um, I don't know if I want to say I'm doing great. I don't know if I want to say I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing. Um, the one thing I have to say, and the, as you say, the now neighbor of the matinee cast, I feel cheated this year because I expected cookies, but we're we're not doing like the show in person and I can't get cookies. The, yeah, there's no cookies, there's no wine. Like that, that uh, my my budget for this show is actually like <laughs> really rock bottom this time around. I'm saving a lot of money. Where normally I'd be opening up like two or three bottles of something, and there'd be like a whole tin of baked goods. I'm I'm sorry, man. You you miss out on all. We're, we're missing out on a lot of stuff this year. So just add it to the list. <laughs> I mean, I got so used to it, like just showing up and being like cookies. I'm like, oh. So we got a few things that we got to get to before we get into the show in earnest. So first things first, 250. Uh, this is a benchmark for this podcast, and I did not anticipate it back when I started it in the winter of 2009. Back then, it just seemed like something neat I could do with my wife's brand new iMac. Now, more than 10 years later, it's much more than something neat. And in fact, it's something I really look forward to doing every two weeks. Um, something you find listeners have encouraged me to keep doing. I'm really grateful for that, and it's allowed me to capture some really wonderful conversations and learn a lot along the way. It's also allowed me to meet a lot of amazing people, like today's guest, for instance, and a lot of those people who've come and gone um, over the course of 250 shows really have had a lasting impact on my life. So uh, for 250 shows, I'm incredibly proud, incredibly grateful, and I look forward to doing let's say at least 100 more. I don't want to say another 250, but I, I, I think maybe I've got another 100 in me. You're you're way up over 250. What are you at now? I'm at like 350. Oh, and I mean, part of, the house, lackers. part of it's because like for so long we did weekly episodes. 
Um, right. This year, we went down to bi-weekly to your schedule. Oh, okay, okay. But also, on top of that, throughout the general process, um, there were a lot of bonus episodes that aren't numbered. Um, there are a lot of episodes we recorded that I just didn't release. Um, <laughs> like, be- because of either they recorded poorly or I was just too lazy that week and didn't get around to editing. And I just kind of eventually get to a point where you're like, screw it, I can't even bother. Yeah. Uh-huh. Once you get to once you get to a certain point, like the whole production just it sort of starts to take on flux, right? Like you start taking on these side projects and you start like posting like live shows that don't really count in the number. So it, it's you know, it, it starts all one, two, three, four, and then you get to like, you know, one hundred and twenty five A. Yeah, I, I imagine someday like Sesame Street will come after me and the count will show up and just slap me yeah. a lot and be like, You don't know how this works. No, you don't. So, well, you know, I say a hundred more. But speaking of more, the next year for the show is going to be one where the ground is likely going to shift under its feet again. I mean, it's pretty safe to say that none of us are going to be going to the cinema again, at least until June. And I mean, that's being really hopeful. And none of us really know what that will mean for new content. And this, of course, is a show largely dedicated to new content. So my hope is to map out seven episodes dedicated to new-ish movies that go on demand, a lot of 2020 uh, holdovers, festival favorites, that kind of thing, um, so that I can give you some new episodes into at least March. And then kind of reassess things come the spring thaw. We may go ahead like usual. Or we may end up falling back through the spring and summer and do another series of Winchester Chronicles. So please just stay optimistic and stay tuned. Uh, you know, where, where that whole thing is concerned, I'm taking a page out of today's guest because y'all have always rolled with the punches in terms of what you talk about, be it something that's new on screens or something that's on demand. Yeah, we ever since, and I think part of it came from the fact that we were not in the North American market. So, like, the concept of keeping up with what would be the fun conversation in film Twitter world, let's call it, right, was just impossible for us for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so, we always, eventually, after a while, we just gave up on trying to stay with always new releases because we didn't want to do the effectively 52 shows a year of January esque movies. Finally, uh, one tradition that we will continue on this episode is music. Typically, on the final podcast of the year, I include a bed track of my favorite songs of the year under the conversation. And this year, that'll include artists like Margot Price, Megan Thee Stallion, Taylor Swift, and The Weeknd, amongst others. If you happen to find the music too distracting, uh, take a look into your podcast feed. You'll see a second version of this episode drop it'll be tagged as music-free. So you can go to that one. It's got a lot less music in it. It's just got the little transition tracks like usual and nothing playing underneath our conversation. So as for today's show, we are doing things a little different because it's 2020. Everything's different than the usual year-end top five. So what we have ahead of us is three categories where we are going to honor films uh, under various uh, headings. And then we're going to end up with a uh, truncated top three conversation. Uh, so we're going to begin with uh, our first section. And I'm calling, you know, I got to still get my little musical references in there. So I'm calling the first section You're Missing. And this is the 2020 movie that we missed the most. I realize that this is a strange conversation because we're going to be waxing poetic about something that we haven't actually experienced. But, you know, we lost a lot this year, so as far as 2020 films concerned, I thought it might be a good way to pour one out for something that, that we didn't 
get around to in the cinema. So Andrew, why don't you get us going? What is the movie that you really wanted to, to get to this year and you have now missed the most? It was hard for me to really come up with one film because, you know, there are a lot of movies we're generally excited about every year. There are movies you and I debate over, movies that we we fanboy over constantly. But in my head, I feel like it's easy to take a break from those where I'm like, cool, I got a year without a fast and foolishness. I'm okay. The movie that when I took a peek, like I went back and what I did was I went back to January on a lot of websites and I went to a lot of their anticipated lists. I was like, let's take a peek at what people were looking forward to that just didn't appear. And the movie that stood out to me that I was like, yeah, I would have been so excited to see this film um, is the Candyman film that was planned for 2020, um, which uh, directed by Nia DaCosta, everybody got to see the... um, what looks like some sort of intro um, preamble to the film, I think, got put online, uh, which I'm going to be honest, I've only seen like snippets of because I'm like, I don't need to watch the thing. I want the whole movie. At the same time, I think about it and I'm like, that's even though, honestly, I have never seen a Candyman movie. <laughs> it's it's a movie I'm fascinated by, especially as we've come along in the years to seeing movies like, say, a Get Out, where these horror films are no longer horror films that make the experience of others a horror for the people in power, but as opposed to taking the perspective of those people's experience and expressing them in a mode of horror. I'm not saying that's exactly what the Candyman movie is going to be, because obviously I've not seen it, but it made me excited to see more of those style of horror movies if we're going down that road Uh, another recurring theme of this episode is going to be andrew stole my answer because in these categories that uh i gave you um at least four times over you swooped in and you took one that i had circled as my answer if you didn't take it and this was mine um i in the last 10 years i've really really come around to horror it wasn't my genre growing up and now it's at the point where the really good offerings are ones that I usually clamor towards. I'm still not so deep into the genre that I want to go to like, you know, do a lot of Midnight Madness or do a lot of the, those kinds of festivals. Um, just because I find that a lot of those movies are um, much more about the crowd than they are about what's on screen. And that's not really me. Power to you if that's your thing, but it's not. It's not my relationship with with horror film. Um, Candyman, I did see the original several years ago when I was doing a horror syllabus for myself. Somebody suggested that I see Candyman. And that original one from the early 90s, it's good, but it's uh, aging in a way that a lot of those 90s films are aging, which is to say that it's a little bit muddy around the edges. It's a little ramshackle in terms of its production. But as you say, at the core, at the heart of it, it is still taking somebody else's experience and turning that into something really affecting and really terrifying, um, and just giving us something different than the boogeyman under the bed. Even though Candyman is, of course, like very much a boogeyman under the bed. Going back there with a, like a modern polish on it, that would have been reason enough for me to be interested. But along with that. We've got a cast and a crew that I am deeply invested in. So it's directed, as you said, by Nia DaCosta, who I earlier on this year watched her feature debut, uh, Little Woods, which is a 
beautiful movie with Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Tessa Thompson is also one of those actors who, anytime she's in something, I'm automatically interested. Lily James, of course, sort of a similar idea. And it's one of these just kind of smaller uh, working class movies. It reminded me a lot of um, Frozen River in a certain way. It kind of takes place in that similar pocket of America, like right on the Canadian border. So when I saw that movie and just fell so hard for it, I'm like, what else is this woman doing? I'm like, oh, she's the one who's doing Candyman. That's awesome. Then of course, after all of that, she gets tapped to direct the next Captain Marvel movie. So I am totally in for whatever this woman's going to do. Just for another Captain Marvel connection, Candyman stars Tayona Paris, who was on Mad Men. She was just in If Beale Street Could Talk. She is also going to be in Captain, uh, Captain Marvel 2. She's going to be on um, WandaVision in a few weeks. So you put all these things together into one project. And I'm just, I'm totally excited. I mean, the one thing I have to say, and I find it fascinating, I'm going to put you and Damien in the same bucket here. Um, sure. Over the last decade of us doing the podcast, both of our podcasts have kind of lived for the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just less consistent about posting than you are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the development of the two of you as your relationship to horror movies has fascinated me because both of you, like you claim it was because you were scared. Damien just thought they were bad. Right. <laughs> um, and over the years of doing the podcasts, like he is, he has figured out like his pockets of where those movies exist for him and the movies he loves. And he's no longer just blanketing the movies with the, all horror movies are awful. And I love it. Um, gotcha. But I think also more what I love for myself over the last decade of doing the podcast and all of the general filminess we've been doing to each other over the last decade of all of our online existence is coming to realize how much my love for, and it'll come out when we start talking about our eventual top three, my love for the concept of genre movies, which is not necessarily movies that stick to any specific dramatic tone or any like realism, but movies that are willing to stick out on a limb and just be themselves in their own weird ways. Well, as far as my uh, choice for a film that I'm missing this year is concerned, I wanted to think about what I... What I enjoy most about going to uh, a cinema, especially not so, you know, like, like I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to see a lot of these things at home and they are generally working reasonably well at home. But what I find I, I miss most about going into a cinema is the pure spectacle. You know, I, I enjoy the intimacy of, of a dark room. I certainly enjoy two hours of not looking at my phone, but I really just love the pure, over-the-top, larger-than-life spectacle that comes in a movie theater. And when I think about spectacle, I think about a lot of different things, but one of the things that I also kind of grasp to is the spectacle that comes with musical theater. So back in August, we were supposed to get a dose of this. Back in August, we were supposed to get a a show by uh, a seminal talent that would probably have struggled a little bit to find its audience. It wouldn't have been an over-the-top hit the way that, you know, a lot of the franchises are. But I feel like I would have been, especially in that, like, opening weekend, I would have been amongst my people. And I'm talking about the new film from John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians. He was going to be adapting In the Heights, 
which is a musical by um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. It was kind of his big breakthrough before Hamilton. Um, the man had a massive hit before Hamilton, if you can even imagine that. Like that was his that was his encore, um, and it's it's this beautiful story of Latino Americans in um, in Washington Heights, New York, um, and, and just kind of they're they're coming together and they're dealing with this wild little situation and all sorts of things that you know also that that, that go along with it. Um, it's an amazing show. It's got some wonderful music. It's got incredible energy. It would have been a summer movie for sure. Like this, if this had have dropped, if let's say if things had have settled themselves down and it had have dropped in December, it wouldn't have felt the same because this movie is all set during this like one really, really hot weekend, kind of in the same way of um, do the right thing. And I was really, really, I'm, I'm still really looking forward to it. It's a Warner Brothers movie. So I know I'm going to get to see it this year at home. Um, but I really wanted to get that experience of seeing in the Heights on a big screen. And I still hope I do. I, that was a movie I was very much looking forward to. I, it was before I had seen Hamilton. I sadly still have not seen Hamilton live. I've only seen it on the Disney stream. And I mean, I can't claim to be a Hamilton fan because people like Douglas and Lindsay exist. Uh, you know, because I've only watched it the once, but they've watched it. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure if they ask them for a number, it's it's one of those numbers where you think about math and they're like, it can't be quantified. I uh, like. I'm I'm pretty deep in the tank for Hamilton, uh, but but she's got me like hella beat when when it comes to that concern. I'm sure she's like she probably schooled Douglas. Uh, that's I think that's where I'm at. I'm somewhere in between Lindsay and Douglas. Even before I had heard, like, the style of Hamilton, I mean, everybody probably had heard, like, songs or, like, clips of them long before they got to see the show, I'm sure, at this stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, when I seen the trailer for In the Heights, like, immediately I knew that's the musical I wanted to see. As much as, like, I think this year we were also promised a Spielberg West Side Story. And West Side Story is one of my favorite musicals. Um, so, I mean, but In the Heights just seems like a joyous, energetic thing that I can't wait to see. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, I am looking forward to, I'm certainly looking forward to West Side Story as well, but that movie is going to come with a lot more baggage in terms of the fact that it's it's a remake. It's a remake of a classic. It's a remake of, a, you know, a Best Picture winning classic. And as much as I trust Steven Spielberg to do a well-crafted and, um, you know, well-approached remake, it's still just got like such a high bar to clear whereas something like in the heights you're just you're taking the work and you're adapting it to a new medium and i feel like that's you know gives you a much smoother road to to a great experience you're not you might you know a person like Lindsay might constantly be thinking back to what she's seen on a stage and i mean i've even I've, i have seen a production of this so there might be a moment or two where i'm thinking back to what i saw on a stage but generally speaking i'm just i'm just in it to win it so this is the one that I think was, in terms of spectacle, I was really missing out on more and probably would have just come away from with less questions, less nits to pick, and, and just more pure enjoyment. And you're just more like, I'll just take what they give me and it'll be lovely. Exactly. There we go. That is our, uh, that's our selections for the films from 2020 that we missed. We look forward in some fashion to seeing them in 2021. And um, hey, we might even have conversations about them on this show. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our next section right after this. Come on back, won't you? Speaking of the COVID 
is it still going around? Why won't you tell me about the looting? What's that really all about? Cause they throw away black lives like paper towels plus unemployment rate. What, 40 million now? Killed a man in broad day, might never see a trial. We just want to break chains like slaves in the South. Started in the North End, but we in the downtown. Riot cops try to block, now we got a showdown. We're back. We're going to move on to the next section here on the year-end matinee cast where we're summing up 2020. We've been talking about the films that we missed. Now we're going to move ahead into, of course, what we have seen. And this is going to be where we really kind of stretch the conversation, I'm sure, because now we're talking about things that have unfolded in front of our eyes. Less wish fulfillment. Um, This is the section we're calling Wicked As It Seems or subtitle, This Was a Movie. This is the kind of thing that on and on and on has perplexed cinephiles moviegoers movie critics is what was a movie what wasn't a movie there's a lot more gray area now that uh you know television and internet are a larger portion of the film lovers experience you know like it, it cinema does not end outside the walls of a cinema so there's a lot more gray area so i have opened up the floor um and i i'm actually surprised andrew because i thought you were going to go in a very different direction with this because I really gave you carte blanche. I was ready for you to tell me that Red Dead Redemption was a movie. Like, in the year of 2020, when we don't have that many films, and a lot of people, I feel, who generally would do, like, their top ten lists probably don't have ten films that they would officially say, I love all these movies. Like, in that year, I kind of want to fill in video games because, I mean... 2020, if, if movies were shit because a lot of them were held back, video games had carte blanche and they did their thing, right? right. So video games are really good. Instead, once again, you s- swooped in and stole an answer that I was had kind of earmarked. So tell people about this, this opus that you say this was a movie. I am one of those people who is very stringent with the, as you call it, the decision making between movie, TV, and etc. Okay. Um, like, all those people who t- talk about Twin Peaks can go and jump off a cliff, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's um, TV. <laughs> um, but my precedence is, um, I'm trying to remember the year, I think it was 2015, um, the O.J. Simpson documentary that I had, a, I had very staunchly decided was a movie. Um, and I stuck to my guns. So I'm staying on that mode and talking about the the Michael Jordan documentary from this year, and that is The Last Dance. And this this movie, um, this this movie is something that came at the only time it could have come. First of all, it was something that was brought out earlier than expected, um, sort of like Hamilton, where since the pandemic started, they're like, look, people are home, they need something, we're going to push this a couple months up, right? Right. Um, Sports had locked down. I'm sure you of all people remember this well of being no sports for like a month. Um, a month. And that was longer than a month, buddy. It felt like a month, or or maybe my memory of time has been so warped there due to the year that I just imagine it's a month. Um, but yeah, so the world was just going reeling from what to what to enjoy at home, and then. Um, ESPN gave us a hand and said, how about we talk about Michael Jordan and the Bulls um, and gave us the film The Last Dance. The The movie is just so fantastic. It's so wonderful. It's one of these in-depth documentaries and it's, it's cemented my concept that I, that I believe needs to, be, needs to be heard 
by all documentarians, and not necessarily movie documentarians, but any sort of person who's documenting history, which is, I almost refuse to allow us to consume this sort of history as it's happening in a lot of ways, because so much of it is held close to the chest and you'll never hear the real stories, right? Oh, yeah, you yeah, yeah. happen like 30, 40 years after the fact when people can talk. And that's kind of what made this so great to me uh, 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 to kind of hear people go through this because these are the kind of interviews you would not hear in regular sports talk that we hear every other day in every press conference, in every moment of like sports people's constant haranguing in front of a microphone um but more to the point what i love even more is at the time when we were all reeling from no sports i feel and you can tell me how it felt for you even though a lot of these games you might have seen years on it felt like we were watching live sports again like you were cheering for those dunks for those passes for those blocks in ways that you thought this was almost like a live game you were watching and it just brought me up what I loved about this um, this series is that it shouldn't work because on the one hand you're tr- you're you're covering ground that has kind of been covered in some ways before, uh, like there have been documentaries about Jordan and the Bulls in the past, but in widening out the scope to go over the entire career of Jordan and the entire six you know i mean eight years but you know you've got two years in there where things happened the entire dynasty of the bulls over the course of 10 hours you're really allowing the scope to play out and for you know to to really understand that you saw something special like it's it's really hard as a sports fan to understand that you are seeing something exceptional as you're seeing it. We just kind of basketball just kind of went through this again with the Golden State Warriors, a team that for five years just shredded everybody in their path and became, you know, loved by their fan base and hated by everybody else. And it just, you know, while it's happening, it just really feels like it's going to go on and on and on. And I mean, five years in the world of sports is a lifetime. Everything has to end, though. And that's the thing is to look back on it after it's ended. That's when you get the perspective. That's when you get the maybe we could have done one more or maybe we could have done this or maybe we could have done that along with them breaking down the shit that did work. Like that's the crazy thing is you're listening to this. You're listening to them talk about this final championship. And that season was just filled with so much drama, so much drama. And I mean, I mean, like, the bad kind of drama. I'm not talking about, like, you know, a narrative device. I'm talking about grown-ass men who cannot get on the same page, whether it's one person wants to be traded or one person wants a vacation or a whole bunch of them don't know if they're going to be there next year. And watching it all with the perspective of history, like you say, was just incredible. It's remarkable. I mean, first of all, it gave us probably the best meme of 2020 for a long time of responding to the tablet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing I like to hold on to is him saying I took that shit personally. (laughs) Um, Yeah. For one of the the greatest athletes of all time, he sure had a thin skin. and, And the thing I had in my head, and I don't think... He, anyone, I don't think anyone in the show actually said it, or maybe never said it in these exact words. 
in my head every time that queued up and you got the you got the response of what he did my head the punchline was someone saying and he was never heard from again <laughs> right the last dance is definitely a movie um kind of like what you bring up with the um the oj miniseries um oj simpson made in america i mean that that year that was my number two movie and i said that is absolutely a movie i think that was about the same length too because I yeah it was, was it was like six to ten episodes i don't remember right it now. was five episodes but the episodes were longer um and like the, the the last dance was 10 episodes but they were all about 45 minutes um you know i could see the last dance playing something like hot dogs i could see the last dance playing at something like tiff like tiff has has liked tiff has enjoyed doing this thing where they take a long series and they play it all as an event or they play half of it or that kind of thing um yeah no the, the last dance is definitely it, it not only is it a movie but it is one of the best movies of the year and and i do enjoy when these documentary series happen because they really they show you what nonfiction can be when it has the time I, I think a lot of people really see long documentary series and they kind of get this like glazed dry pbs ken burns thought in their head but it's just it can be so much fun it can be so funny so exciting when you just invest the time and yeah like you said this certainly came just at the right time when everybody really wanted some sports that's that's the thing i do like uh, the other thing about um the last dance is it has now effectively dropped the mic on the 1990s bulls you know like there there's nothing more to be said now there's there's no more documentaries coming about the subject it has been covered when one of the interviewees within your documentary is a former american president you're done i know espn has been doing the 30 for 30 series forever um so they are not and being the broadcasting station they are there they're not shy away from long-form documentary um about sports but i imagine that given the success of this thing we're we're expecting in the next 10 years to see a lot more of this style of sports documentary oh there's gonna be i mean listen the other thing i, I do like about um films like this is you will attest to this by and large athletes are idiots if you put a microphone in front of an athlete and you ask them how did it feel out there you are going to get the same canned piece of gobbledygook that does not at all answer the question at the very least this gives them a chance to really think for a minute or two and talk and not have to worry about I'm going to have to play with that guy again tomorrow so I can't call him out now. Or I'm playing for a contract in three months so I can't rock the boat too much now. It really gives athletes a chance to express themselves properly if they have it in them. And the ones that don't have it in them, you don't have to include them in the movie. Well, my answer for this was a film uh, has been causing a lot of controversy lately for reasons I don't entirely understand because it really should be academic. I'll and settle this for you. So just let me know and I'll, I'll give you your answer. <laughs> I, I think I know. I think I know what your answer is going to be too. Um, and it's actually like, I'm kind of cheating because it's, it's a film I haven't even, if I, if I'm going with, this as a film, it's a film I haven't even entirely finished, but where I'm at in it, I'm like, no, no, this is a film. My answer for this question is, the small acts anthology by steve mcqueen when i started it i wanted to make the clear decision that that was not a film it were they were films right individual episodes you pick the one you like right 
Um, okay. now, now having, I'm like four out of five so far. Um, I see it all as one, and I will accept that this is a film. This is a film. This, I believe, is very much in the same bucket as Three Colors or, um, you know, the Decalogue, both of them by Kieslowski, where, yeah, these chapters do stand alone by themselves and you can just say that mangrove is a movie of its own or lover's rock is a movie of its own and you can go back and forth about like which one is the best and which one's the weakest and whatever and so on and so on and so on but they come as one grand vision and one overarching narrative and one large project you know that has all of these various moving pieces within it and is you know really and truly quite ambitious um it was the only question about whether or not it is a film or a series of films is that it was the platform that delivered it was television the platform that delivered it in europe was bbc and in north america was amazon and that seems to have muddied the waters as to oh well it's a mini series and i'm like no this is not a mini series Mangrove is two hours. You know that, that's that. I don't care what prestige television show that you want to cite in this golden age of television. No episode of television goes for two hours. You know, none of them. I don't care if it's Sherlock, Game of Thrones. None of them go for two hours. That Mangrove, especially, is a film. These are a series of films that are all tied together by this one experience. These these singular voices and deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as something like three colors um firefly had a 90 minute episode so i mean like, it's not two hours there's a I mean, difference between 90 minutes and two hours they set the tone with that first episode that first film mangrove which right now i'm going to be honest with you like if i if i'm doing this for my list which is not a part of our list conversation i'm pulling mangrove out rather than calling it all as one um and that's just my personal preference the Steve McQueen, as far as I'm concerned, has cheated and released five movies in a year in which no one has any movies out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I mean that's the thing. He's like, "What? You're gonna clear the ro- you're gonna clear the road for me? All right, I'm not gonna just play one card. Here's so here's my whole hand." He, he, he I think he's like banking it so he can like take ten years off. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, I, I do love that the man has inserted himself back into the Oscar conversation after everybody just basically shrugged off Widows, which is a crime unto itself. Oh, Widows! That was that was a fantastic film. Still is a fantastic film. Um, yeah, no, small acts. And as I said, I'm still working my way through it and really, really enjoying where it's taking me. I, I hope that I can finish it by the time the year is out. But small acts and all of the lives that it brings in and all of the just time that it spends with its various things like you know lover's rock is actually where i started and this is a film that decides it wants nothing more to do than to play a song at a party three times over over and like the same pure joy that you have as a kid when you hear a new song and you play it and you play it and you play it. There's no, you don't know kind of club you're at. You're at a Jamaican club um, <laughs> where they, they up and they just run it again. Right? Yeah. Um, like, where are you in this? Have you seen, you've seen Mangrove and Lovers Rock? Have you seen more? 
no that's by the time by the time like the night is is done i'll have seen at least one more of these and as i said by the time the ball drops on new year by the time this episode goes up i will be finished i am four deep and the third episode the one with john with boyego yeah um has what might be my favorite moment of the series so far it is an innocuous moment but it is a it is a it is one of those moments that uh I don't know how I'd speak to it to being a specific Caribbean moment, but maybe it's just specific to me as it's something my family did all the while. Um, we're a big Scrabble family. Scrabble. And there's a scene early on in the in the film in which the family is gathered probably for di- Sunday lunch, Sunday dinner, and they're playing Scrabble. They're having a time. The father is having is enjoying the fact that he just put down a big a big point word and he's like, Yes, I'm I'm you, you have to have your patience, you have to win this. And um, then um, Boyega is there with, um, it's not really clear at that point in time whether it is his wife or his girlfriend, but his partner. Um, And she plays down sex. And because it's a family gathering, suddenly you can see the (laughs) all turn, all become very, very, very um, uncomfortable. Um, and you see you, the camera actually shows you the father's hand and he has a why to play sexy and play out his hand and be wonderful but he passes through because he's like I'm not doing that right now and I'm like, <laughs> it is one of my favorite moments of this of that whole series of films oh man that sounds incredible I mean and that's that's why I love, like this movie has the time to do these things this movie has the time to you know, watch a Scrabble game. This movie has the time to play a song three times over. It has the time to watch people cook and to really, really just celebrate a culture, you know, because it's not worried about just pushing one core plot through in two hours or two and a half hours even. It has the time to really take a lot of life and culture and put it onto the screen and i love it for that this was a movie and i'm so happy it exists i'm really looking forward to one day getting some sort of a beautiful physical copy of this because i believe that it will exist in some some version somewhere i know we're into a weird age where physical media is is taking a, a big old hit but i look forward to the box set of small acts on my shelf at one point or another we're gonna take another break for a quick moment come on back we've got more content right after this We're back. He's Andrew Robinson. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matinee Cast 250. We're summing up 2020, the garbage fire that was 2020, the catastrophe that was 2020, with highlights of 2020. Um, and we're on to a section now that I'm calling Sing for the Moment. This is where we are tapping one movie to sum up this year. If, if somebody were to ask you in the future, what was it like to live in 2020? this is the film we would point them towards. And I am actually really excited because you have chosen a film that I haven't even heard of. So tell people about the Wolf of Snow Hollow. You know, Ryan, that hurts a lot because I'm pretty sure I told you to watch this movie like around two, three weeks ago. Well, Ryan, you tell me a lot of things, man. <laughs> um, I know I didn't, I didn't harp it as much as other films this year, but you know, it still hurts. Um, so <laughs> this movie is, um, I think, 
I don't think it's his second film, but it's the second film I've seen by him. Um, Jim Cummings, um, actor and director. Um, the second film that I've seen um, last year was the film Thunder Road. That was a big hit for me. Um, now it's The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is a genre-ass genre movie in which a in a small town up in some cold place i've forgotten the name of it actually you know what it's snow hollow i just i just don't know where it's pretending to be <laughs> I, I i can't tell you that this is wisconsin's hills or something i don't know where they're pretending this this area is it's called snow hollow um there is a bunch of random murders happening um and the bodies are just eviscerated and all they say is it's done by a wolf and this whole time um the main character played by jim cummings who is a deputy in the sheriff's um is the only man who's walking around and claiming this can't be a wolf there's no such thing as a werewolf it's a man this is a real th we have to be in reality while everyone else in the town is slowly but surely starting to believe like as the murders continue that a werewolf is running around their town um and in the year of 2020 in the year of disinformation and people believing horseshits this movie just kind of fits the bill for me also being a movie i really truly adore um jim cummings he did the same thing in thunder road plays this wonderful part of the um lovely detective slash core of your film who is at the same time going through an emotional breakdown um in this movie there's a there's a whole thing about alcoholism that his character is going through and like he's a recovering alcoholic um and stuff going on but everything around him just becomes more and more lunacy while all of these murders are going on and you're following the clues and the detectiving going through and it is like fargo on drugs but even more insane and you even have the the concept of nepotism in here as his character is the son of the sheriff of the town who is played by robert forrester in one of his final roles you can tell the feeling in the office is people being like, I'm not saying you're a bad detective, but we would be a lot meaner to you if your father was here. <laughs> um, and I just love this movie. I love Jim Cummings and the way he plays his character. And I, I, I'm sincerely on the Jim Cummings train. And I know there's like one other feature film he did before the two I've mentioned, This and Thunder Road, that I need to, I need to find now. Um, but yeah, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Go watch it, guys. I'm very, very interested uh, in this. He's only got Thunder Road and and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. He's got another one coming out. He's got others that he was involved in, like where he produced. Like he produced something called Beast Beast. Um, and he produced, uh, he was a producer on uh, Krisha and The Grief of Others. Um I'm curious. I, I I like the idea of, you know, it's pouring rain. You're standing there getting really wet. And despite, you know, somebody who only has your best interest in heart saying, open your umbrella, you will look stone face back at them and say, I don't believe in umbrellas. That is That is really and truly where we have got to in 2020 and at the worst possible time it has been building 
for years and this year it like it took its normal game and went pro you know in, in so many ways and we're not even done with it unfortunately because now to get us out of the hole we've put we found ourselves into we have to take medicine and we know there are a lot of people out there who do not trust medicine so unfortunately we might be watching the wolf of snow hollow and seeing connections for a few more years but yeah i i do like i like your math here on on how you got to this of of this uh you know, of singing for the moment with the Wolf of Snow Hollow. It also helps that it's like one of my favorite films I have seen this year. So I mean, like, it's it's not even like I'm like, all right, the story matches the 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 theme we're going for, but don't watch this movie; it's bad. This movie is actually really great. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean, that's the thing. Like, I never wanted to you know take these sections and point people towards shitty movies. Like that, that's you know that's never what I want to do on this podcast. Um, but you know, like, we have more leeway here than just these are the great movies it's like you know this is it might not necessarily make my top five or my top ten but it, you've just given me a reason to talk about it that's why i want to talk about it so you know certainly when it comes to something like wolf of snow hollow or last dance or or in the heights that's what i'm enjoying about this this particular episode is more than just counting down the best stuff we're also talking about other stuff that was really really good for a very specific reason um my movie um, that I feel was 2020 in a film. I'm going a little more on the nose, um, but I feel like it's still a movie that people are kind of catching up to, um, especially in Canada where it wasn't available until quite recently. Um, I went with a Hulu film starring Andy Samberg and uh, Kristen Malati called Palm Springs. Did you ever catch up with this? Yeah, I definitely saw this, and I'm going to be honest. This definitely was the first film that came to mind when I read the when I read the category. I'm like, that that seems like the biggest fit this year, and I know Ryan will talk about it. <laughs> Good, well, I, thank you for that. Thank you for not like swooping in and stealing my thunder for a third time in three categories. Um, Palm Springs is a story about a guy who goes to a destination wedding and manages to start living the same day over and over and over again and through a weird little coincidence while he's doing this he manages to draw two other people from this wedding into this time loop that he finds himself stuck in and then it becomes well shit what do you do with the loop now, right now this is very much in a vein of groundhog day but Groundhog Day, of course, has a lot of personal growth that comes with it. Plus, it kind of has the quiet nihilism of, of Bill Murray. Here we've got Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti, and they're not out to they're not out to do Groundhog Day. They're not out to show you that same beat over and over and over and over and find how these little variations might eventually add up to the perfect day. These are two people that find themselves stuck and go through the various stages of what do we do now that we're stuck right like at, at some at sometimes it's like well maybe none of it matters other times it's no now it really doesn't matter until eventually it becomes i need to get out of this loop and i'm actually going to do the work and figure out how to get out of it this movie which i saw during the summer like when it became really apparent that this was going to go on for a while like you know I feel like 2020 has gone on so long that we have forgotten how this all progressed. Like 
when the pandemic was really beginning, we all thought that it might just be a few weeks. And then we thought that it might just be a few months. And now we are so deeply ensconced in the reality that this is our lives now. And it's going to be for at least a good little while longer that we really shouldn't make plans. And that's what Palm Springs is in a nutshell. It is, you know, you're going to find yourself in a situation and you're going to think that you can just explain it away. But you really need to get into your new reality and figure out how it best suits you and how you can make the most of it. Um, yeah, I mean, there are many things I... I'm expecting as time is going on that will become more and more normal for our lives even after this is over. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's still the question of what after really is um, as to whether after will be like, oh, we're all clean. Or if it will be like, um, we're now basically going to treat it like the flu. And it's around, but you kind of hope you don't get it as much. And stuff like that. So there are many things about 2020 that we're going into. And I continue. I know I, I know Damien hates it when I call it this. I continue to look to next year. And I'm calling. I'm not calling it 2021. It's 2020 New Game Plus. Right? <laughs> and we're now going on a harder difficulty. And we're, we're running this again. And hoping we can finish it faster. <laughs> it's i mean it's very much going to be like that i i, I see uh, you know when i was when i had uh when i had the tv on on christmas day and i saw an ad for the olympics i, I looked at it i was like oh yeah we're gonna try that i don't want to say this is a bad idea but you know what it was a bad idea um yeah palm springs if people haven't seen it by now really and truly it like it will it will feel like your life and and maybe it will give you an idea of how you should be embracing this um you know whether it's to laugh at it or just to make fun of it or to accept the absolute chaos that it is um this is absolutely the mo the film of 2020 that i will point people towards in the future and if you haven't seen it by now go check it out and you'll find out why i don't know if this comes down to the production team if it comes down to who is making these stories which is actually the thing we talk about a lot with these films but i walked away from that film and as much as i enjoy it and i love it for the thing it is because i am a i am a mega fan of the andy andy samberg chick right okay. And it's, it's written around him, and he is part of the production team and makes that thing work for me. Um, but I left that movie just completely enamored with Sandberg and J.K. Simmons on top. Right? <laughs> I, know, I know she was in the movie and did fantastically. There's like a great dance scene that I love at a, at a bar, at a pool bar. That's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but is it just me that that's how I left the film? Or is it, is it the, as we like to put it, the people who wrote that story? I don't like it's 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 hard for me to answer that question because one of the things that drew me into the movie is actually something different than drew you in. I was quite pulled in by Kristen Milati. I love her as a performer. Um, I love uh, she she's a singer. I love her voice. And every time she's in something, she brings this extra energy. So I thought to myself. If I was stuck in a day over and over and over and over, who are some of the people that I would like to be stuck in that day with? And she's one of those people. All right, we're going to take another quick break, but then we're going to come back after this and actually start counting down some of our favorite films of the year. Come on back right after this.
All right, the time has come to put aside criteria and qualifiers and special labels and just get straight to the meat of the matter and talk about the Diamond Dogs, our top films of 2020. And again, I said this off the top of the show, I'll say it again. There were incredible films that came out this year. And just because we couldn't go to a theater to see them doesn't mean there weren't incredible. And if you need help finding them, that's what we're here to do. But these films exist on all kinds of various platforms, which admittedly is annoying that you can't just go to one place and find them all, but they are there and they will affect you. They will entertain you. They will maybe make your day just a little bit more joyous. And I hope that you will go and find some of these and of course after i say all of that we're going to start with one of the films that is easiest to find and kind of became a whole other conversation this year andrew why don't you get us started with your number three your bronze medal selection um the bronze medal it goes to the the king of please go outside and get sick um mr chris nolan um and that is tenet um it's now safe to watch it you can now get your blu-ray or 4K or rented from all of the platforms you can watch. The film is about John David Washington, who plays an unnamed protagonist who you only hear called the protagonist, which, oh my god, I love so much, um, who is a CIA operative spy man and gets whisked up into this plot that can only be described as a James Bond film. Um, Kenneth Branagh is a Russian megalomaniac who is in cahoots with this whole new technology that's being introduced in this film in which you can invert people and objects so that people are going back in time and forward in time and walking backwards and bullets are going back into guns. And in the middle of this, you have John David Washington as a spy man trying to save the world from the end of days. It is just a bonkers genre action movie which it's one of it, the, the one thing i give this movie that i complain to it and it's something that i know will go away as i watch this movie more is that it's one of those things nolan does a lot which is he tells his audience to pay really close attention to the rules he's giving him at the beginning and he doesn't necessarily break those rules by the end but he definitely makes them so bombastic by the end that some people might walk away from it a little a little confused, not necessarily a little lost, kind of like doing too much math at once. At the same time, it still delivers that genre action punch that I love. It is just an insane movie in which people are going forwards, backwards. There are scenes in there that people will deconstruct for years, not just talking about how it made sense, like in plot wise, but how someone filmed it and made it work on the screen. It is the kind of movie I love. I feel like this is this year's equivalent of The Matrix, right? It did enough technically, it did enough science fictionally, and it had all of that action that just made everything come together with characters that are amazing. Elizabeth Debicki, Robert Pattinson, Kenneth Branagh, and John David Washington are just incredible. So I finally caught up with this yesterday. I was really soured on this whole this whole project for the longest time because when summer rolled around this became a whole other argument that i just grew more and more weary of which i don't understand why nolan and or warner brothers would have had 
this argument with the world, with themselves. There's all this now, you know, more light is coming as to who said what, who wanted to do what. And I don't understand why they would have pushed the issue because it became a lightning rod for this movie and took away from what was actually happening on the screen, right? And it was of their own doing. If they had just said, we're gonna box, what everybody else said, we're gonna box it up and just wait. You know, we are confident with our material. We are just gonna put it on the shelf and wait until it's safe to show it to you the way we wanna show it to you. I wouldn't be thinking about it twice. I would just be, you know, agreeing with everything you just said. But because the issue was pushed, it got this very, strange cloud and veneer around it. Now, I, I, as I said, I finally watched it yesterday and there's a lot of moments in this movie that are insane. There's a lot of moments in this movie that are absolute pure, large scale cinema that knowing Christopher Nolan, he mostly did practically. There's a lot of other moments in this movie that make zero sense. Like he is, he is asking me to do an awful lot of trigonometry in this movie to be able to add it all up. I went with it. I would never say that this is a bad movie. I would never say that this is a confusing movie. It, it makes sense in the grand scheme of what it's out to do. And it's kind of funny because at, at first I wasn't sold on what it was out to do because the whole idea of inverse technology of like a bullet that comes back to its gun, it felt at first that they were only trotting it out when it was convenient to make a scene look cool. You know, and then you get about uh, a little more than halfway into this movie. I want to say you get about two thirds of the way into this movie and it really shows its hand and tells you, all right, this is what we're about to do. And you see this happening. You're like, oh, shit, of course. OK, this is what you've been building to with all of these moments of, you know, a bullet coming backwards or somebody fighting backwards. This is what you've been building up to. All right, let's go. Talking about it didn't make any sense, number one. And this is something like we've recorded a tenant conversation and it's something we got into where Chris Nolan writes his movies and presents his movies in a way in which they make you feel as though you are watch you are in a very confu very confusing but very educational TED talk in which <laughs> They want to make you feel like you're in university and you are a smart human being and we're treating you like a smart person. But also, we're not making those fast and foolish movies that we're like completely pretending, not pretending that you're smart. We know this is a dumb movie. But at the end of the day, I f we've come to the understanding that Chris Nolan truly is making dumb movies, right? He just puts smart things in there and makes it sound smart. Um, for the audience. It's something that he invented. I don't know if we'd say invented, but he's perfected over the years, especially when it came around to The Dark Knight where everyone being like, it's so gritty. Guys, it's a dumb comic book movie. And Chris Nolan knows this. This is the, this is the, this is the thing he sells us. And he's done it so well, and he does it so well here. But also at the same point, what I think he puts in here, which is a concept that I've only seen best explained in video game design, which is the concept of building mechanics. So mechanics in video games is basically the way in which you interact with a video game. So let's talk about Mario Brothers, you jump, right? That is your one game mechanic. You run and you jump. Right? As the game, as you're going through the game in level one, it finds small and uninteresting but simple ways to explain to you how and when you should jump. Right? It gives you easy ways to fail at using that mechanic so that you can figure it out and then do what you're doing. 
and then as the game progresses it throws more and more things at you that makes you have to find more and more interesting and intricate ways to use that mechanic i.e jumping and that is what chris nolan did with this movie most movies try to do this but some of them aren't that great and some of them take the route of being like, I know I introduced you to this thing, but that guy who told you before, he has no idea what he's talking about. And it's really this other thing. And you just kind of go with it. And it's and it's dependent on how much you like the movie at the time. Chris Nolan truly and really built this mechanic up in this movie, as you were talking about, where he's where the whole first half of it, you're like, I get it, but I don't see when it's useful. And then right. the back movie like the usefulness of it comes truly into play um and it's only just about how much heavy lifting your brain is doing in trying to basically deconstruct the usages if you're one of those people who's doing that versus like stuff is blowing up and it's really cool right (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot to like about this movie I, i really do like that he took his large property and he rested it on the shoulders of john david washington he's been like nolan has been doing that pretty much his entire career like you know you can say what you want about him using actors like leonardo dicaprio and christian bale and uh, you know, Hugh Jackman, but he has no reservations of putting somebody like Guy Pierce front and center, or putting somebody like um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt front and center, or Tom Hardy. Like he basically made Tom Hardy's career because before um, Inception, he wasn't really a thing, and then all of a sudden, he was a big, huge thing because of his supporting role in Inception. So watching him take somebody who is as talented and charismatic as John David Washington and really now making him, you know, the front and center of this circus of, you know, special effects. I do love that. And I do love that he gets, you know, Patterson back into it before he doesn't goes and does his Batman nonsense. And, um, I sort of feel like he wasted Elizabeth Debicki. You know, he doesn't quite use Michael Caine as much as he usually does. It was I mean, a- there right so oh, yeah yeah you trust me if, if you haven't seen if we're using your sports terms he has to management it's on kane now yeah 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 load management for sure on <laughs> michael kane you can't play him every game not a, not a chance um yeah no this movie is very good uh I, like it didn't make my top three um and i gotta be honest like this movie really did need a big screen because i do believe that there's going to be a lot of people who tune into this and peace out after the first 20 minutes because it's just really really bogged down with gobbledygook if they were in a theater they might have gone with it a little bit more but yeah I, i'm i'm here for it it was really good i was happy i saw it um i would have enjoyed seeing a lot of these sequences on a screen um but it's it is a very very good movie and a good start to this conversation um oh, I can't wait for 2022 when i can go see this at the imax no kidding i'm sort of cheating here because with us only having three films I noticed there was going to be one overlap um, and it was going to be the film that I had at number three is actually going to be up at your number one. So what I've decided instead to do is I'm cheating and I'm going to bring my number four into the conversation to take the three spot because really and truly a lot of my movies from like two to five, I could really interchange them depending on the day like that. The the top class of 2020 is a bunch of amazing movies that could really each kind of shuffle in and out of slot depending on my mood so i'm taking my four putting it at number three today and my number four is a film directed by eliza hitman called never rarely sometimes always did you see this i did not 
So this is a movie about um, a 17-year-old girl named Autumn who lives in, um, it's, you know, rural Pennsylvania. She's not exactly, she's not out in the sticks, but she's in a very small town. And at 17 years old, she's pretty sure she's gotten pregnant and she goes to a, a crisis pregnancy center to kind of get the scoop on on what's going on. Like, she, you know, she's a kid. She knows what like what her body is going through but she doesn't really know what her options are what's possible and this is a movie of very much of its moment because there's a whole raging debate in certain corners of the world about what kind of agency a woman should have over her body and where these debates take place it's never a game of all or nothing like re it, it's it's very very cagey in that way that nobody has so far managed to make things completely legal or completely illegal so the way that the side that wants to say illegal makes their point is that saying death by a thousand cuts so you make it a little harder and a little harder and a little harder and you put all these various little rules into place that end up adding up to not possible and that's what comes into play with autumn is she goes to basically you know in the states it's planned parenthood and she goes there and she thinks that she's going to be able to you know to to make her choice however because she's already 10 weeks pregnant that center can't take care of her so now she's got to go somewhere else. Uh, like she's, she's got, it's, it's not a matter of, well, I'm just going to go to the center on the weekend and my parents aren't going to know and nobody else is going to know and I'm going to be able to get this taken care of. Now she's got to like make this whole song and dance about it and actually like leave town to get her choice taken care of. And you watch this kid, you know, the 17 year old kid going through this with only her best friend, another 17 year old kid, at her side it's a gorgeous movie it's really subtle um the main actress in it sydney flanagan is off the hook amazing in this movie um just so raw and so powerful and it's so down to earth um that i really believe it's the it's the kind of movie that's just dripping with empathy and i feel like more people should really see it doesn't wade into the weeds of whether or not abortion is right or wrong you know like that is really not what it wants to say all it wants to say is you know this is the way that show our laws and our rules affect the lives of a person who wants to make the choice of whether it's right or wrong for them it's one of those age-old topics i remember being in university and doing law courses like required law courses that everyone had to do and hearing people debate these things especially in jamaica where like it is illegal mm -hmm. um it remains illegal and the conversation is always about clarifying when it, it technically is legal um which is a very minute occasion and it is it's one of the occasions where i'm like i understand why someone would want that to be an option but at the same time i'm like i understand why someone would want it to be a general option a lot more often it's kind of crazy and yeah put it this way 2020 wasn't a year where i needed to see stories about mothers and children um yeah. in which questioned a lot of life and death scenarios yeah it, like i mean the the 
it's it the the best thing about it is that it really it's it's about her you know and it, and it's about the the hoops that she has to jump through it's it's not about her wrestling whether or not to make the choice like i feel like that's a whole other movie she makes her choice very early on and then it becomes okay i've made my decision how do i do this right and you then find out how do i do this is actually a lot harder both emotionally and pragmatically than anyone her age would suspect and that it's it really puts you into her shoes in quite a profound way that i was really really um happy that i spent time with and saw i would have i would have liked to have seen this in a theater just because it would have locked me in a little bit deeper this is a subtle movie uh, but even just at home on my couch this was really a great watch never rarely sometime always by eliza hipman uh your number two movie is one that you just would not shut up about so i oh. really, i am not at all surprised that oh. it's here oh it's um, blankets <laughs> please, please tell people about this opus First of all, I, I mean, I, I hope you, Sir Ryan, um, take my take my example and live by it. Because I live in a world in which you, movies are seen at film festivals and talked about, but that movie is not seen by people for like three years. Um, and it upsets me sometimes. This movie I saw last year at TIFF. I know, I know what's coming, Ryan. Don't worry. I know what's there. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I know the truth, right? <laughs> um, so this movie is uh, was officially able to be seen by people in 2020, the film of Baccarat, a Brazilian film. Um, I am going to pull up the directors because I cannot say them off the top of my head. Um, directed by Juliano Dornels and Kleber Mendoza Fijo. Fijo? Um, I try. Um, I'm sorry. Um it's about it's about a small town. It's a remote town in Brazil called Bacarau, in which the matriarch has passed, and people come home for the funeral, and the bonkers story that appears after this. Um, a town. A, should, should clarify a town so small it is no longer on the map. No longer on the map, and no one misses it. Um, a town. <laughs> And it's one of these movies that embeds its genre nature into it in ways that you don't even notice the weirdness until it gets so large. Um, like, I don't know about you when you were watching this movie, but when they first get to the town and she takes the psychotropic drug, you don't even think to yourself, something's gone off. You're just like, oh, maybe there's just something going on in the small town of Brazil that I don't know they take drugs all the time. There is, like... To talk about this movie in detail is to ruin it for anyone who won't see this, only to know that this is a movie of like five stories that could have been a series that went on because it is just five different concepts that go on. It changes from a, a, a neo-western into a, into a space thing, into a um, siege film, into a back to a western at the end and the movie is just so amazing with how it does its characters like people who get five minutes of screen time i feel i know better than main plot characters in some big budget movies yeah, um, yeah. 
the the film it as as i love watching international films doesn't shy away from just the differences in how we view the world people in this movie whose jobs i wish i could be if i had to pick one job from this movie i'd want i'd want to be that de- that that um that um uh, dj slash um town cr- town crier who's just hanging around and playing music and saying yo dog you need to go to your mother's house um <laughs> there's the roaming prostitutes there is there is the politician who rolls into town with a with a garbage truck full of books and just like lets it out and you already know what politician we're talking about this movie is the perfectest crazy film that you could talk about is it still on the criterion channel ryan yeah oh yeah this is absolutely this this ape shit bonkers like you know banana split of a movie is right in there nestled in with eight and a half and and you know breathless oh yeah so ryan i know you as a person somewhat well right and i know you are i know you are the prestige oscar man Right, you are not completely the genre person. No, right. I knew that going in. I knew this wouldn't be on your list. Oh, I don't think we've officially talked about your feelings on this movie, <laughs> and I feel I deserve it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here's a fun little twist. This actually was on my list because back in summer I started poking around various people's lists of the best 2020 movies so far so that i could keep an eye out for them see when they hit on demand see when they hit the streaming services you know see if i could get my mitts on them however i could possibly get my mitts on them and baccarat was one of those titles that was mentioned i didn't really it came up more than once and if a movie comes up more than once i just i I put it into the stack right like i'm like okay this has been vetted I'll put it into the stack, and when I can see it, I can see it. And I, you know, every once, once every few weeks, I'd go down the list, and I would like do a search for Baccarat, or I'd do a search for, um, you know, Relic was another one of those that I went looking for, or Emma is another one of those that I still haven't been able to find. Um, so it was one that I had had circled, and then when I saw it was it had turned up on Criterion, I was like, okay, well now I've got my now I've got my channel, so I can I can definitely take a look at it but for whatever reason i didn't then immediately chase it and then you started talking so i thought in my head this is either going to be a very good thing or a very very bad thing and and when you when you start poking me about about a film the way you did i'm like i cannot tell you're either setting me up to watch watch another (laughs) fp or you're pointing me towards something as bonkers as r100 and this I'm happy to say is more the latter than the former. Baccarat was ugh, like it's it has to be seen to be believed, really and truly. Like you, from moment to moment, have no idea what kind of movie you have got yourself into, especially when you just come into it away from like a festival program. If I had of if I had seen this the same way you did. Uh, at a festival and and seeing the markers of its programming of like what um you know like what series it was in who chose it seeing the little write-up on it i might have had a different expectation i really and truly did not know what i was getting into i just pressed play and let it unfurl this movie's insane 
This movie is amazing. This movie is gorgeous. This movie is exciting. It's funny. Um, and, and this movie is absolutely bonkers in the very, very best way. And in the middle of it, you have Udo Kier showing up and just yeah. oh, doing his work. I, I, what I love about this movie is how um, it is so much that siege movie. And when the foreigns, the foreign nationals show up, like it almost doesn't explain them in so in a well in a great way. No, in, you know, and, and and I take that not just to be what someone might describe as bad writing, or even you might want to think about it as they couldn't afford them for enough days or whatever. Um, I take it more for the movie to tell me these people don't matter in the way that we always wanted um, movies that touch on colonialism and touch on otherness and national identity to be like they are not the arbiters of this story we are right and so much so that we are going to make this story that turns it all around and makes it and makes it into um its own as it already is a genre film that just plays with its own concepts and i'm sure there are like 30 historical things i don't know about brazil that this movie touches on in really interesting ways i have read a lot going in after this movie and it remains one of the most fascinating films of 2020 that i have seen and i adore it yeah i like it's it's crazy to say that at this stage in the game, it, it takes a lot for a film to make an impact. Like there's there's a lot of movies that fade into the memory, and, and you kind of have to really draw them out when you're when you're trying to think of a certain topic. Like you know, I think about when I do the section on this podcast of the other side, and I try to think in my head of something like a movie about grief. Like I'm like, okay, I've got like a few dozen movies about grief in my head, but what can I extract? It's not a the typical answer and b something I've already talked about six times, and you know really try to pull it again for a new conversation. Baccarat is not that movie. Baccarat is the kind of movie that really sticks front and center. And the move the, the moment somebody says Baccarat or the moment somebody says something like, you know, what's a movie about a small town that pushes back? These are the kinds of movies you'd be like, I know a movie. It's funny, it's sad, it's violent, it's it's exciting from moment to moment. It is kind of the most movie of the year. Best guitar player in all movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Including Desperado. Including Desperado. Yeah. I too um, want the I too want the job of that DJ who doesn't actually have like a radio station. He just goes from A to B in his car with really big speakers in the back and a mic. Yeah, it's 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 the only way to do it. <laughs> if you say so buddy um my number two movie i don't think you've seen yet so i won't go on too too long about it but uh, i was lucky enough to catch it in time for this show um my number two movie is directed by lee isaac chung and stars steven yon it's a movie called minari oh i want to see it so bad you this this is this is a movie for you um, for sure. So this is a movie. It's set during the eighties uh, in uh, Arkansas, where a Korean American family moves into town, and it's 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 them trying to basically build up their lives. Right? It's it's a town where there's not a whole lot of economy booming. It's a town certainly where there's not a whole lot of other Asians, and they're just they're trying to get their shit together 
and to make a life for their children. It's it's a, it's a couple and their two small children, and they're trying to make a life. Now, making a life entails a lot of things. It entails getting jobs at this uh, this hatchery where they're sorting out male chicks from female chicks. It involves trying to farm the land that they're on. Um, part of the reason why the father, played by uh, Stephen Yon, uh, chose this particular place where they're living. And they're living in like a trailer. They're not living in, in a prototypical house. They're living in, in a trailer in this, in this kind of backfield. Uh, Jacob is his name. The reason why Jacob chose it is because he is convinced that the land around them is really, really rich and that they'll be able to farm. And making a go of it also includes bringing their, the grandmother in to help them because, of course, it's just the two of them. They don't really have daycare. They don't really have, you know, like support in terms of the network. So they got to bring the grandmother into the fray. It's just dripping with empathy. It wants you to look at this family and all of these hurdles that they've basically put in front of themselves. Like they could have just stayed in their comfy little life in California or, or you know, and, and, and made life easier for themselves. But they're like, you know what? We could maybe do more if we went here and we tried. And trying is everything from, you know, going to the white church. Trying is plowing under these back fields so that you can plant stuff and and making a real go in the face of being the other it takes a lot these days um for a movie to get me plot wise like you know it, it's kind of the stage we're at i don't try to outsmart a movie i'm not trying to say that about myself but usually as a plot is going along I have a vague clue as to where it's going, right? And I'm, and I'm, I'm just happy to go along for the ride. Minari is a movie that in its final act actually made me audibly say out loud, oh shit. Like there, there comes a point in this movie where something happens and the reality of what has just unfolded just hits you like a bolt. The guys on Film Spotting always like to talk about stakes and how... You know, in a movie like Tenet or a movie like, you know, your average superhero movie, the stakes, generally speaking, are quite low because you know that everybody in it is going to be okay because they got to make more movies. The stakes in a movie like Minari, um, or certainly the stakes in the movies by the filmmaker you're going to talk about in a minute and with your number one film, the stakes are incredibly high. You know, a small decision or a small move can have huge repercussions and this movie has that in a great degree where this moment just threatens to completely undo the way of life that this family has spent so much time building up yeah. does this movie have a better Stephen Jung character than Burning or just different it has a so this is what I love about Stephen Jung is that he is showing more and more that he is very, very versatile. Like I think what I loved about burning and I, and I loved burning by the way, and we didn't talk about burning the year that it dropped for reasons that I can't entirely remember is that burning was the first time I saw Steven Yeun play a different character than Glenn. 
right? Like we really got to know this actor as Glenn on Walking Dead and his ins and outs and how he moved and how he spoke and how he approached life. And then along comes Burning and he's somebody who's so cold and so aloof and so like almost sociopathic and can just grip you with a monologue that's told in a, in a level of voice barely above a whisper. He's not doing that again in Minari. He's playing a very, very different workaday man, Korean man in America. And he's doing it in a way that you can understand what he's trying to do and also understand what his wife sees in him and why it might be a bad idea. He He's a guy who, if he's in a movie, I'm going to go. I adored Burning. Burning. Burning is one of those movies where I have a hard time selling people on it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, the acting in that movie and the character in that movie is just so, so brilliant. Well, it is, I mean, like, that is a subtle movie. That is a really, really hard one to, to like, it's a really, really low simmer. Um, the other thing I should kind of talk up just before I move on from Minari is that the matriarch of this family, the grandmother, uh, Yoon Yoo Jung, she is spectacular in this movie. She is She's a legend in Korea. Like she's been, she's 73 years old and she's got like, I think more than 50 movies under her belt. She's been acting for more than 50 years. So she must have more than 50 movies under her belt. She's incredible in this movie and what they bring her in to do and you know, how much she guides you through this movie. It could have succeeded just with the couple and the kids, but by bringing her into the story as well and letting her do what she does, I love seeing the attention that she's getting at, at year end like she's actually being talked about in terms of like award consideration and it's well deserved because she is so tender in this movie and has so much heart and so much like just just ah just wonderfulness i can't wait for people to see this movie any other year it actually could have been my number one and and you know if i had have had even just another week with it it might have been my number one it's a fantastic movie that i can't wait for people to see we're gonna come right back after this we're gonna talk about our number one movies in the year so come on back All right, the time has come. We have uh, spoken about many movies and many different facets of the last year. Movies that embody the year, movies that may not have seemed like a movie at first. Um, but we, it always comes down to one. It always comes down to one top dog. The movie that made its deepest impact on you for the year. Andrew Robinson, um, you, uh, you, you feel as though your top film is aptly titled. I mean, it is like, you know, it, as, as someone who likes to watch a lot of anime, people like to have conversations where they talk about um, Best Girl, which we can talk about how problematic all of that stuff is, um, or, or, best, or Best Man or Best Boy or whatever. Um, I have Best Cow because it is the first cow um, directed by Kelly Reichardt. Um, and this is a movie which, I mean, Kelly Rarkert is not new to this story, right? She, she has been doing these minimalist, um, stories, even in the old West, um, long before this film. Um, and she, she's incredible at making these films in which the stakes are so low, but at the same time, 
the they still seem ridiculously high because at the end of the day we're talking about a world where instead of thinking of it in clint eastwood terms and sergio leone and um Django terms where they are they they are the the pastime superhero films where they can't die. Um, these are stories that exist in times when death is a normalcy, right? Yeah. Um, where any small mistake means you don't get to live for the rest of life and you will die poorly over the next two weeks. Yeah, a, a, a cough could be a very bad harbinger. A cough is not just, I got some dust in my throat. A cough could mean that person is not long for this world. Right. So we're back in the old Westwood Kelly Reichardt, and we follow along these two characters, um, uh, Cookie and um, King Lou, um, played by John Magaro and Oran Lee, two friends who, follow, who become new friends in this small town. And at the same time, this small town has the delivery of their first cow, um, which is a big thing for this town. It means milk production. It means things they didn't have before. And it is, it is not for the town, obviously. It's one wealthy man who owns this cow. And these two men, um, Cookie, who, if you couldn't guess by his name, is a cook. <laughs> um, he, he takes it upon himself that he really wants to make this um this delicacy um that is oily cakes um and he needs milk to do it right so they go into the dead of night to go and steal milk from this cow and everything gets out of hand as they start to make a business together with these with these oily cakes and they go off fantastically imagine anywhere in your town that has that new business open up that just booms that's what happens here um but we're in the Old West, so stealing from somebody's cow is like is 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 a deathly crime um, because slowly but surely he realizes he's not getting any milk. He's he he thinks he's bought a barren cow, and it is incredible to see the story of what goes on with all of these characters between Cookie, King Lou, and um, the the wealthy gentleman played by. Toby Jones. Toby Jones, um, whose character name is Chief Factor, um, who 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 has a fun relationship with Cookie himself, imagining this man must be, just be incredible. How is he doing this and without milk? Um, <laughs> or just not knowing how these things are made. Because um, this man has never talked to me about my cow. Um, and... It's one of those movies that it's it's such a simple plot that you think if this plot were in 2020, you'd be like, this would be solved with like a lawsuit of money or like a contract being made. Um, but at any time, these two are just running around with a noose around their neck, not knowing when when they're going to plummet to their death or when something bad will happen. And it is it is both just enjoyable to watch this friendship um business relationship happen and at the same time the suspense of when something bad is going to happen in this story to these characters and i love it yeah this movie i i envy that you got to see it uh before the world shut down yeah kelly reichard um director of movies like meek's cutoff and certain women and um old joy um she has a knack for taking everyday situations and taking one moment of truth 
and making you realize that this moment of truth could have huge consequences and having the whole thing hang on whether or not the headlights over the ridge are going to turn off and go away or whether or not the barrel of water is going to make it up the cliff you know or in this case whether or not these guys are going to get found out that they're stealing milk from this cow and or you know toby jones actually having a brain in his head and thinking hey maybe i'm not getting any milk out of my cow because they're taking it um so the stakes in this movie are incredible um at the same time this movie is so damn tender and loving and sweet about the process of creating you know the whole idea of whether you are a coder or a baker or a carpenter whatever you happen to be creating something out of nothing is a labor of love and there are respects that need to be paid you know like one of the things that comes up in first cow is the, the it gets it get, the, the idea gets kind of swirled of well, what if we made more? Like, what if we, you know, right now we can only sell 50 of these in a day with how much milk we get. What if we figured out a way to get more milk so that we could sell 100 in a day? And King Lou actually says, no, no, no. If we make, if we keep this as something that's exclusive, as something that's hard to get, as something that we only make as much of and then we're done, that is what will keep people desiring it for longer if we mass produce this the novelty is going to wear off very quick you know he's he's smart about it that way and at the same time he has a respect for what he is actually creating in a year in which everyone's stuck at home and i'm pretty sure everyone got very familiar with cooking very intricate things themselves um a movie about cooking like it's it's really great i I still to this day, I mean, I know you were very much on the on the train of trying to get some oily kicks made for yourself. Still, so I <laughs> I know you failed so far. Yep. Uh, I remember not. I haven't really attempted myself. I mean, I I would just make myself some Johnny cakes, but you know, all all work together. Yeah, first cow. It's so lush. It's so tender. Um, it, it's short, sweet, and to the point. I, I, I oddly enough remember back when we could go to theaters, seeing the trailer for this movie and not really thinking much of it. Like it, it seems to kind of have the most absurd trailer where it seems like the most highfalutin bullshit that I've, I've come across. Um, and I really should have known better because the people who make these movies are not the people who sell these movies. And this movie is a lot better than its poster or its trailer would have you believe. Um, you know, it's not really about the cow. That's, that's really what I want to drill into people is you're not really watching a movie about the cow. You're watching a movie about life in North America at, at, its, at its dawn, what it meant for people who had the means to buy a cow, what it meant for people who would steal from the cow. Um, and, you know, just all of the ins and outs in between of, you know, how much is too much? Like there's a lot, this movie has a lot to say about greed and about temperance because 
these guys, they're in it. They're not in it to win it. They're in it to make just enough to get on to the next thing. And, you know, it, it kind of takes that old saying behind every big fortune, there is a big crime and turning it on its head. It's like, here is a small fortune by a small crime with an end, you know, like with a, we're doing this to do this and get out. Andrew seems to claim that my number one film of 2020 is actually a film from 2021. But it's I mean, it, show. it is the future, right? You came back from the future in Tenet style. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looping back. Um, my number one film is a film that I was coming into this year really looking forward to. And the highlights of this year have been few and far between. I mean, Andrew's got some doozies. If you ever want to find out about a year of a 2020, unlike any other, call this man. He's got some stories. Um, but, but one of the things I was looking forward to that was going to carry me through this year was an upcoming film from a director who'd hit me so hard a few years ago. Um, her name is Chloe Jaw. And a few years ago, she directed my favorite film of the year, The Rider. Uh, she then took that and parlayed it into a Marvel payday uh, by directing The Eternals. And in a weird little twist of fate, we didn't get to see that movie, but we did get to see the smaller movie that she took her Marvel money and then went and made. And it's a film called Nomadland. The main two actors that you'll see in this movie are Francis McDormand and David Strathairn. And the premise of this movie is simply about Francis McDormand playing this woman named Fern, who is a nomad. She lives in this camper van and she goes where the work takes her. She goes where the, the climate in America is hospitable and lives quite simply. And then when she has to, she moves on. In a way, I could see this as the movie somebody tells me embodies 2020 because it's a movie. It, it was a year where a lot of us just said, you know, if we kind of got away from everybody, maybe we'd be okay. So maybe these people are on to something where they're, you know, living in the back of their van and, you know, only packing three or four changes of clothes and only packing, you know, two to four dishes and just relying on other people for company, for assistance, for entertainment, um, far more than you and I might do when we're, you know, a lot more wired in than this woman is. Um, the movie is stunning. The movie has some of the best photography you will see the movie has a gorgeous musical score that goes underneath it and Frances McDormand carries this movie on her shoulders and she's wonderful from moment to moment whether she's flipping burgers in a diner or whether she's sitting on a patio chair outside of her camper van it is most definitely the most um Terrence Malick I've ever seen a director go it's weird because when I when I spoke with um, Damien on this, he's not seen this. I've spoken with him about this movie because he and I are both in love with the writer as well. He 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 kind of cued me into something I didn't even see in the writer. I didn't see the Terrence Malick um, influence in the writer. I just saw a fantastic story by these wonderful people. It's one of those films that is definitely made for a specific audience. I don't think I'm that audience this year. Um, oh. but, 
um but nonetheless i i know what's going on with you man it's it's great i love coming across a talent on the way up like it, it's it's rare it's really really rare to come across a storyteller and 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 say you know this person's going places because for every one back at the beginning of this segment we talked about tenet and i remember thinking when i saw memento holy crap this is a guy who's going to be able to tell some really incredible stories for every one storyteller like that who gets their chance to tell stories on a bigger and bigger stage we get a trillion nacho vigalando who told a story called time crimes which is very much in a in a in a in a relationship with a movie like tenet but he never really broke out of of the the constraints of you know not even just working outside of his own language because he's a spanish filmmaker but just never really busted down that door meanwhile watching somebody like chloe ja who's now you know four films deep into her career i've seen three of them and i can see this progression of just grander and grander ideas is fantastic to me um you know like yeah you say you're not big on 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 the Malikian influences of this movie. I saw them all over the rider. Like when I watched that movie, I'm like, here's a woman who has studied her Malik and is ready to make it her own. Um, and yeah, in the in Nomadland, she takes it and she just doubles down and makes you look at areas of the country that you might not even look twice at and say, holy shit, that's really pretty. Nothing else. This movie is mag- is beautiful. Um, the acting in it is fantastic. David Strathairn, like you kind of you kind of look at a movie like this, and you you think sometimes that they'd be happy to make it one of those films where you just have um, Frances McDormand as the centerpiece, and she just plays off of all of these non actors or completely unknowns that can be anyone to us, and we can just have her exist in that world. Um, but Strathairn, in his own pl- right, just pops up, and you kind of fall in love with him as well in the character he plays and how he shows up from time to time. Um, the the movie itself, it has a really interesting core. I I just have issues with some pieces of how parts play out and how it's kind of put together in itself. That's just being me. But I, 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 I it's something I, I, I hate myself for doing this. I really hate doing this. Like, <laughs> where I'm like, someone is talking about movies they love. I don't need to shit on someone's movies, right? Um, but yeah, man. This <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, listen, I get it. It's, it, it's a movie like all, all three of mine really were subtle. Like it, it's really kind of kooky to me to be talking in the same segment. Um, when you, when you, when you bring, when you start us off with tenant and certainly when you take us to the batshit nature of Baccarat, it's really weird for me to be mirroring that with movies like never rarely, sometimes always and Minari. But I mean, I get like that was just my mood this year you know like, I, I think they it, it's it's weird because on the one hand these are films that should suffer watching them at home because i should be so distracted and so disengaged and so you know with my mind even just seeing a cat move across the room i should be like taken out of this kind of movie but meanwhile what i cannot deny is that these films and especially no man land which yeah i came in primed to love um just got their hooks in me and i adored them so 
I don't know. Like it's yeah, I get like you saying, you know, not for you, dog. I'm hoping that eventually you do come back to it and watch it again. Um, and maybe it, it does a little bit more. Maybe, you know, your attitude towards uh, like the characters or the story or its message or whatever changes over time. But you know, like I, I would, I would understand somebody coming away from this movie and saying, you know, I, I didn't get it. Like not a whole lot happened. This woman just moved around America. What are you going on about? I can only just say that it took me out of my life for a minute and it did not take me to a life that I want. Like, do not get me wrong. I have no desire to pile into a van, you know, poop in a bucket and call that my, my life and, and hang my socks and my underwear on a, on a clothesline. I have no desire for that. But to spend two hours in this world and watch this woman look into the face of a consumerist 21st century and completely say to herself, I don't need that, was refreshing. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I know someone who's done this. And? Um, they very much enjoy their camper life. Did they try to sell you on it? No, I don't think I'd call it a sales pitch as much as it's a life story. Kind of like this movie. This movie is not a sales pitch. It's just a life story. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and I think that that's what I like about it. It's like, I've seen other movies like this where it really hammers the living off the grid nature of it home and just will not let you forget it. This movie is just, this woman lives it. It's for her. She doesn't push it on anybody else. And, and what I like even more is how she can politely reject other offers in that sense mm-hmm. where she's like, I get, I get your life. I'm uh, not for me, dog. Yeah. She's doing, she's doing to the, everyone else what I'm doing to you. I'm just like, not for me. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I mean, and again, the, the, the amazing part of all of this is the woman who gave us this story has another story just waiting on the shelf that, you know, would have made her far more famous. And right now we've just got to sit around and wait for it. There we go. That is episode 250 of the matinee cast. I'm so thankful uh, that Andrew Robinson was able to spend some time with me today. Come on back Monday, January 11th for episode 251. We will discuss Wonder Woman, and I know y'all have opinions on it, but I've got mine, so you're going to hear them. Andrew, of course, is on the Unnamed Movie Podcast. Um, when can people look forward to your year-end shenanigans? And this was a sprint compared to your usual marathon. We have right now in the bank a Tenet episode that I'm planning to release in another week, more or less. And then when the new year rolls around in the middle of that month, you'll get our end of year, uh, more than likely. Which will be, which I don't know how long it'll be this year, especially Four given what twenty twenty was. Um, but we're gonna see what what we can come up with. Very nice. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Um, as always, at Gman Reviews. Very nice. My site, of course, is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, and Apple. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If you have a podcast platform of choice and my show is not there, please drop me a line and let me know. I will put it there. Feedback on films of 2020 that we mentioned or films of 2020 that we didn't mention can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA, or there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Robinson? Baccarat. Everyone go and watch Baccarat. Uh, I would, I fully support this. I, I don't always 
have Andrew's back when it comes to the movies he suggests because this man has steered me wrong sometimes. But Baccarat, uh, he will—he's not steering you wrong. I, I highly recommend this movie with him. For Andrew, I'm Ryan. Thank you so much for 250 shows. Have a happy and safe New Year, and we'll see you at the matinee. Make it easy, make it plain, make it simple, make it rain, lift me up and add again, like it did back when I was ten, world was smaller, but you knew it then, play it again. <laughs>